As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. It was a weekend where the passing of a monarch halted Premier League play and it's possible this coming game week will go the same way. In Germany, Bayern Munich suffered yet another tie, Dortmund conceded dry and Union Berlin are riding high. In Spain, the magic number was four. That's how many Barca, Real and Letico Madrid all managed to score. And in Italy, it's Napoli who are still ascending, Milan are contending, and that Juventus game had a pretty wild ending. My <laughs> name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who would never get a red card for removing his shirt, celebrating a goal that was ruled out. Or would you, Taylor Rockwell? Nobody needs to see me without a shirt. No, I would not. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Hello, Taylor. Are you saying you've closed your OnlyFans now? Uh, yeah, you know, it didn't do the numbers I thought it would. I appreciate your subscription, but it was basically just Ryan watching my OnlyFans, so I figured we could just cut out the middleman and have some conversations. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get awkward right back at you, my friend. Uh, yeah, I enjoy that. Off. Well played. I, I served and you returned well. Well done, Tay-Tay. Uh, <laughs> I'm, of course, referring to the Aventus game, which had the world ending. Mm. We'll get into that later on. Joining us, so Tay-Tay, a man who will hopefully, hopefully be able to tell us why Juventus were wearing their away kits at their home home game which had like half the fans in it should have had on Sunday Graham Ruthman uh, because money I think that's the reason on both counts got it yeah yeah that makes sense excellent all right we'll get into that one later as well <laughs> <laughs> joining us Graham a man whose analysis hits like a Dominic Zlobber's lie banger Joe Lowry hello hello I like how indicative of each one of us those intros yep. where Ryan you continue to craft them so well Taylor you you and Ryan had a nice little back and forth. Graham says a one-liner, and now I'm here <laughs> carrying us forward into the next section. That's just good stuff all around. Oh, thank you, Joe. I always like to say a nice thing about you because you're nice. Aw. I like see. I like more of this. I like this a lot. We should do this more often. <laughs> we should indeed. Uh, by the way, I had a lovely weekend. I hope you all did too. I went to a place called Viterbo on the weekend, about an hour from Rome. And I don't know if you saw on my socials, but they gave me a Coke Zero with... Iran's flag on it. They are, they're now doing the World Cup Coke. And I figure the, the uh, Italian wait staff heard some American accents. They heard some British accents on our table. They're like, try and find the Welsh or the Iranian Coke. We need to be <laughs> passive aggressive with their drink choices. And they brought out the Iran Coke. So there yeah. you go. I'm sure that's what happened. 100%. I think that was their motivation. Yeah. Either that or it was geopolitically motivated. Maybe so. Uh, maybe. I'm just surprised, Graham, that they actually are doing the World Cup edition coke in italy it feels like it's rubbing in a little bit doesn't it <laughs> has has the build-up been a little bit subdued in italy actually that's a that's a genuine question because obviously as we all know they have not qualified but are they just ignoring it and pretending that's not happening i mean i've looked outside the driving's really bad the pizza's really good it seems like it's same as usual actually <laughs> i haven't noticed any changes can i can oh, i make I'm... it like kind of heavy for a moment as i am wont to do uh-oh Go I, on. I believe maybe it has changed, but for the longest time, I believe like like uh, Coke had a bottling plant in Israel, and so you could not get 
Coca-Cola, you could only get Pepsi in Middle Eastern countries. Maybe that has changed, but if not, I wonder how much Iran will love uh, if their Coke was bottled in Israel. Thank you, Taylor. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Soccer this weekend was uh, was stopped, of course, in no? England. Too heavy? Too heavy? All right. I'm just, I was just plowing through, just plowing through that one. I mean, it's possible. We can all think about it. But um, here we are. Um, as I was saying there, soccer in the UK this weekend stopped to honour the life of Queen Elizabeth II, who passed away last week, of course. Graham, it turned out to be a rather controversial decision to cancel mm. the Premier League and all EFL games. In fact, all games down to grassroots level uh, across yeah. the country over the weekend. Um because basically all other sports went ahead. Golf still went ahead in the UK, so yep. did cricket, so did rugby. Manchester United um, played on the evening of her passing, which obviously is a bit inevitable because it was only announced a couple of hours before they were due to play their European game. But um, there was suspicion, Graham, that there would be fear of dissent during games, that that might have been a factor behind the Premier League cancelling. Uh, there was also um, some reports that policing would have been an issue, which I actually had verified. I spoke to a couple of policemen who I know who said basically um, they were very stretched for um, for public order issues because of the amount of people coming into London, for example. My family actually all went to Buckingham Palace yesterday and it was heaving. And apparently there are the Premier League are now fearful of losing further fixtures next weekend due to the same policing and logistical issues. The funeral for Queen Elizabeth um, planning to, is planned to be take place next Monday. It's going to take a lot of police resources over the weekend and over this week as well. Graham, the Queen, the Queen, excuse me, lying in state in London in the coming days. That's going to require policing resources. There are rumours of a twenty-hour wait to see the Queen lying in state. They've already cancelled Arsenal's Europa League game against PSV on Thursday. Day. And it looks like games in London are going to be at risk. That's Tottenham Leicester this weekend, also Brentford Arsenal, uh, Chelsea Liverpool, big one on Sunday. Uh, Man United Leeds, even looking like it might be in doubt. And of course, all the EFL slate in London as well, Graham. Um, it seems like maybe they should have put these, in my opinion, Graham, it should have gone ahead because, like my family, for example, we all went to Buckingham Palace because at times like these, whether you're a, a royalist or not, people like to be together. Yeah. And there were thousands and thousands of people who were together this weekend and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would have been together in Stadia and they weren't given that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a number of, of different issues with the postponement of, of football in the UK this weekend. I understand why people might want to show respect to the, to the Queen, who was beloved by, by many in the country. However, to your point there, Ryan, I would argue that the, the congregation of a football match would have been the, the perfect place for people to pay their respects. It would have been a strong Im image for the United Kingdom to send around the world, the minute silence. I'd imagine some clubs would uh, would have had brass bands and, and, and very emotive tributes and the black armbands and all that sort of thing. So I, I disagree that postponing matches was the, be the best way for football to show its respect. And then you have the fact that this is happening during a, a cost of living crisis in the UK. Coincidentally, the, the, the day Thursday that uh, Queen Elizabeth passed was the, the same day that Liz Truss, the new prime minister in, in the UK, announced all these measures um, for the energy crisis and people not being willing, uh, able to, to to pay their, their bills, their energy bills that cut this winter. And that had been, that announcement had been awaited for months, really. And so that kind of just illustrates the, uh, the position a number of people in the, this, this country are in at the moment. And yeah, sure, the millionaire footballers will be fine. But what about all the vendors and the stewards and the people whose livelihoods depend on on football and and match days and I saw I think it was Manchester City saying that they were they're going to still pay all their vendors which is is very admirable and I'd suggest that all Premier League clubs that have that money and that resort those levels of resources should be doing that but the further you go down the footballing ladder the less likely that that will happen. The other issue I, I have is, as you mentioned there, Ryan, that pretty much every every other sport played on. The rugby continued, the cricket continued, the horse racing continued on Sunday. And if there was a, support, a sport that would have an argument for postponement, it was the horse racing, given the, the Queen's role in that sport. But nope, they, they continued. And I'm not going to get on my high horse for too long here. But for me, it, it, it comes down to class. So the Premier League had, had the freedom to decide to play on, but the official advice was to postpone. And I think it's clear that the decision to postpone was made to preempt any negative reaction to any fans booing or, or acting up. And cricket and rugby doesn't have that issue. They don't receive the same scrutiny. If that happened over the weekend, it didn't end up on the front pages of, of certain newspapers. 
and football essentially doesn't trust its own fans, which which is a, is a shame. And I think in the United Kingdom, many people are confused over what it means to pay respect. You can still pay, in my in my opinion anyway, you can still pay respect and go to a football match. People pay their respects in their own way. And in the UK, in my opinion, it's become more important to be seen to show respect than to actually show respect. And because of this, you end up with completely ridiculous scenarios like Morrison's supermarkets removing the beeps from their self-service checkouts over the weekend and Hammersmith and Fulham Council cancelling a car-free event on the high street and allowing motorists to clog up the, the high street because, of course, that's what the Queen would have wanted. And then perhaps the most ridiculous example of, of full respect to the Queen was, as you say there, Ryan, at the start there was the FA cancelling all grassroots football over the weekend, stopping kids from, from playing football. I, I I think the country has lost its mind a little bit, frankly, over the last weekend. That's not to say that we, sh- we shouldn't pay respect to the Queen. As I say, she was very beloved in this country. But we've now set a precedent that is going to cause problems the next weekend and maybe even beyond that as well. Graham, um, you've buried the lead there. A supermarket turned off the beeps on the checkouts. Can they keep them off? Apparently so. For events like this, it seems that contingency was built into those self-service checkouts. That's amazing. I know. Oh, I know. wow. I mean, we do know famously the Queen hated beeping noises, so uh, that's very famously. respectful of them to do so. Yeah. Um, but it means, Taylor, we potentially face um, a couple of Premier League game, round, uh, game weeks um, not being played in a season where there is very little time to make them up. That's going to be problematic going into the World Cup, Taylor. Yeah, I mean, I think it means we're going to have to either double up before or after, which means some tired legs. Well, I think we're going to have tired legs regardless, so some even more tired legs. Uh, and that's not my, my favorite thing. I think Premier League clubs probably aren't going to love that one, but I guess you got to do what you got to do, and it means we get to watch more uh, more continental football, and nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that indeed. I think that's a beautiful seg to talk about some continental football. How, what say you, Wait, Tay-Tay? Fo- there, there's football that happens outside the UK. Not according to the British press, but yes, yes, (laughs) otherwise, yes. This is news to me. (laughs) Yeah, if you look at the British media, it's all just things that weren't soccer that happened this weekend. But that was an awful lot (laughs) of it. Oh, no, it's all Chelsea and Todd Bowley and Thomas Tuchel. It's like, guys, that happened last week. Other things have happened, but you do you. You do you, English press. Other things, including the action in Germany, Italy and Spain. We're going to talk about Argentinian soccer this week. We're going to go to MLS, of course. So plenty to talk about in this episode of Weekend Review. Do stay tuned, listener. For now, let's go to East Germany. Ebi Leipzig 3, Borussia Dortmund 0. Dortmund had the chance to gain some ground on Bayern this weekend, with Bayern tripping up more on that shortly. They did not take that opportunity, Joe Lowry, did they not? Uh, an Auburn header opening up uh, Zobislai with the aforementioned banger and then Hedera finishing it off beautifully quite a game Joe yeah this is a fun game and a big win for RB Leipzig as well who started the year off poorly so they started the Bundesliga season with one win two draws and two losses in their first five games and then a loss in the Champions League a 4-1 loss at that to Shakhtar so they had not done well and that that 4-1 loss basically got Domenico Tedesco fired and also got Marco Rosa hired so this was his first game Rosa's first game in charge of RB Leipzig, and it also happens to be against, as we've mentioned, Borussia Dortmund, his last club. So lots of ties here, lots of, of nice little intricacies and connections. And for Leipzig, a massive win to get their season back on track against a, a legitimate rival in the Bundesliga. They come out in, in a pretty standard set of tactics. I didn't see Marco Rosa really doing anything mind-blowing in this game, and maybe we'll see a little bit more as time goes on. But he also didn't need to do a ton of mind-blowing stuff in this match. You go up 1-0 in the sixth minute thanks to an Orban header, and you're in you're in the driver's seat for the rest of this game. Leipzig didn't have to control possession. They sat in, in sort of a 4-4-2, 4-2-4 defensive block and absorbed pressure and hit on the break. And when they were facing a team as impotent as Dortmund was in the attack in this game, that job was pretty darn easy. Timo Werner gave... Borussia Dortmund's backline fits in this game, as did Christopher Nkunku. Then you had Sobosly on the left, and he gets a nice goal in the second half. I believe it's the second half. Is it the end of the first half? i got to check. It's the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. He gets a nice goal, and then Emil Forsberg has that number 10. And then Haidara comes on and gets the, the game ceiling goal from the, the right mid spot, basically. So he's playing a little bit wider than we might see him at times. So, again, nothing all that complex here from Leipzig. A good win for them. I do have some questions about what the future looks like under Marco Rosa, but maybe we can talk about that later. Either way, the talent was on full display for this team. And Dortmund, as I mentioned, made Leipzig's lives pretty easy in this game. They, they didn't. And I mean, Leipzig, 
they've conceded four in their last two games. Andre uh, Frankfurt last weekend and midweek as well against Shakhtar Donetsk, Joe. What changed here? Was it just the caliber of the opposition? I mean, maybe that's part of it. To look at Dortmund's struggles, I thought they did some good things in this game under uh, Terzic. They, they tried to take away Konrad Leimer and Schlager, uh, Leipzig's double pivot of Austrian midfielders in, in the midfield, and I thought they did a decent job of that. They controlled the ball, but they just didn't create anything. They didn't test RB Leipzig. They created nothing in the first half, and I wrote that down after I watched the first half. And then I watched the second half and wrote the same thing for the second half. It was, it was a, a very similar first 45 and second 45 from, from Dortmund in that they just did not test yeah. Leipzig. Most of their play in the first half especially was down the right side. So Thomas Mounier playing on the, on the, uh, right back on the right side of defense in Terzic's 4-2-3-1. And then Marius Wolf playing as the right winger. And, and I wrote this down in my notes as well. Are you really afraid of that pairing? Is, is any major European team in the world really all that afraid of Thomas Mounier and, and Marius Wolf breaking them down. Is it going to happen occasionally? Of course. But but is it going to happen a lot? I kind of I kind of doubt it. So mm-hmm. you have you ended up having Modest, who has been Dortmund's uh, Sebastian Haller replacement. You have him isolated as a number nine because the play is supposed to be coming down the right, but it's not really coming down the right. Dortmund are sloppy. Then nothing is really happening down the left as well. Rafael Guerrero, I don't think, was as involved as, as he should have been for Dortmund, and I'm not saying that's his fault either, but there were structural changes and structural issues that were preventing Dortmund from doing a whole lot of good in this game, and it, it totally worked out for RB Leipzig. Maybe Gio Reyna helped a little bit off the bench. He had some nice actions pretty early on, a good cross a few minutes after coming on. He did some good things, but even Gio Reyna, I don't think, had enough time to bet in, nor do I really think this game was still up for grabs by the time he comes on in the 59th minute. Yeah, this was the first time since November 2019 that Borussia Dortmund failed to have a single shot on goal in a Bundesliga game, which kind of tells you a lot about how toothless that they were. And for me, they're they're a confusing team at the moment because up until this match, the, the results haven't been bad they've up they've been up near the the top of the table in Germany they've started their Champions League campaign with a win as well but they don't really have a style or of play or identity at the moment and I think it's difficult that is that is most clear in the way that they're attacking at the moment because it's difficult to tell what the the plan is for a lot of the reasons that Joe just outlined there and maybe maybe things will be different once Terzic obviously he's he's just come back into that job and so he might argue this is a bit of a work in progress and obviously Sebastian Haller is not available at the moment so maybe things are different once once he's back but Modest is pretty immobile and so Dortmund's only idea to get him involved seemed to be just to send crosses into him and that didn't really do all that much and Leipzig were pretty comfortable defending against that. And then there was a pretty telling quote from Terzic after the match where he admitted, quote, with the, with the personnel we have, we can't always play quick passes deep in behind. So that kind of says that they're not playing how he wants them to play at the moment and, and beyond those crosses into Modest, they're, 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 they're relying on moments of of brilliance from individual players to make anything happen in, in, in the final third. And as I say, it was always likely to be a work in progress this season. But when you look at how Marco Rosa was able to give Leipzig a, a clear way, way of playing this game just a few days after his appointment, and look, maybe they've got a stronger squad, yeah. but it's it's just clearly not good enough for Dortmund, well, in my and, opinion. And that's the challenge, Graham, is you look at the, the difference in these two teams, and I think there's a pretty clear gulf in quality in, in pretty much every line from Leipzig into Dortmund, you look at Dortmund and just take their center backs as an example. Timo Werner is a, is a phenomenal athlete and he is faster than most professional soccer players and certainly most people. But Schlotterbeck and, and Nicolas Sula never really had a, a chance to keep up with him in this game. They were never going to keep up with him in this game. Adam Kunkus runs in behind as well and they just don't have the speed in the back to be able to play. Or at least I didn't observe that in this game. Maybe, maybe that yeah. will change as the season goes on. But I didn't see them having the speed to be able to play like you would expect a modern top European team to play. And like they tried to play in this game where they tried to dominate the ball. They tried to step high and it just didn't work. The identity is not there under Terzic, who who is not really renowned for having any sort of major tactical scheme that he brings into a team. So that's not there right now. And, And the quality just doesn't seem to be there either. I'm not trying to take all this away from one loss. I think that's a foolish thing to do. Dortmund have done well this season for the most part. They're sitting on 12 points. They're fifth in the league right now, only two points outside of first. So they're fine. But I'm, I'm just not sure that fine is going to be good enough for Borussia Dortmund this year. 
Joe, sticking with the uh, the speed of the back line for a moment, I remember seeing a graphic that I did not believe and had to have confirmed for me by other people that Nick Lasula had like the fastest sprint speed of anybody at Bayern Munich last season, faster than Alfonso Davies, which again blew my mind. Uh, but supposedly that is true. Supposedly he is very fast. But I am with you that with that said, he did not look nearly as fast as Timo Werner. And maybe part of that is just... Uh, like for like speed, Werner has the advantage, but I also think it's what Leipzig did to make Dortmund uncomfortable and get them into positions where it was Sula. Maybe in a foot race, he can keep up, especially when Timo Werner's dribbling. But when he has to close 15 yards to then pursue Timo Werner because Werner has drifted into space where a fullback was supposed to be, but that fullback is marking somebody else. Now you start to get moments of indecision, moments of uncertainty. And that kept happening. As you said, Joe, a lot of the action happening down the right-hand side in the opening half. And what I saw was basically Wolf going central to try to limit uh, uh, Schlager and Leimer. But that meant Munier had to deal with Soboslai, but then also uh, Raum when he would get forward. And you kept getting this situation in which he was trying to kind of mark one while marking the other and splitting that difference. But if he has to slide over to deal with the advancing fullback, now Soboslai is open. And so what I would see then is Sula would have to go over and mark him, but then he's also paying attention to somebody else. And I think Leipzig kept doing a good job of making sure that Dortmund never felt completely like, okay, I've got my guy, you've got your guy, now we're all marked up. It kept changing and having to be adjusted. And I think in those adjustments, Leipzig were able to make the difference. Uh, Taylor, in our uh, shared mm. notes, you've written Marco Rosa, Goldilocks, mm. and the Three Bears. Yep. Is this pertaining to Rosa's uh, breakfast choices? Please explain. Yes, he does love uh, the Just Right Porridge. But it's also, I was reading, that uh, under Tedesco, the criticism had become it was possession for possession's sake. It was too much possession. They weren't doing enough with it. They weren't creating chances. They weren't scoring goals. And I just thought it was interesting that Maybe I'm incorrect, maybe I have it wrong, but my memory is that under Jesse Marsh, there was not enough possession. It was too vertical, it was too direct, and so uh, I'm wondering now if under Marsh, it's too direct, it's too vertical, we want more possession. Under Tedesco, it's too much possession, we need to be a bit more direct, and so maybe Marco Rosa will be the just right option of enough possession, but with attacking intent and some tactical structure behind it. We'll find out in like six weeks when he either gets fired or gets to keep the job forever. <laughs> I mean, Leipzig's, their trigger has been ridiculous, right? Marsh comes in, it sounds like there's things yep. that were that were deeper there and sort of a mutual understanding, mm-hmm. which I was hesitant to believe at first, but that does really seem to be the case, where both Marsh and Leipzig said, yeah, this... This isn't working. I mm-hmm. thought that was the Spain team working hard there on Marsh's end, but it doesn't seem like that was true. Then Tedesco comes in and has some decent success last year, struggles this year. He's yanked, and now it's Marco Rosa's turn. And I honestly don't know how this is going to go. Taylor, I want for his sake and for Leipzig's sake for it to be that just right porridge, but man, it feels like we'll find out very, very soon based on how yeah. quickly Leipzig seemed to be moving. I think it's worth remembering that like it was the he gave us his resignation what 6 months before he actually left Gladbach in the middle of the season their season goes into free fall, results are terrible, players are dissatisfied, and that's kind of hanging over his head as he moves to Dortmund. We've talked about this many times before, but I, I guess I'm wondering if maybe that cloud and the sort of negativity leaving one job that Terzic had been doing a good job when Rosa comes into Dortmund and maybe it was just the imperfect storm, so to speak, and maybe this one gives him that fresh start with a club that wants that fresh start with a, a promising manager and we'll see what happens. Or, yeah, in six weeks we have a new manager and we'll talk about that then. I think Sorry. I think there's also a, a personal connection as well with Marco Rosa and, and Leipzig because he's actually yeah, yeah, from yeah, yeah. Leipzig right. and I'm a little bit unclear I d- in my research I was trying to find out if um, Ibero who who is the sporting director that Rosa worked with at Gladbach whether he has been appointed at Leipzig or he's going to be appointed and I couldn't really find anything that made it made it clear but I think um, Ibero's had some sort of input in Marco Rosa coming to Leipzig, whether he's been officially appointed or not, or whether that will happen in the next few weeks. So I think there's there's reason to believe, obviously it didn't work for him at Dortmund, but it feels like this is a better fit for everyone concerned, but it seems like Leipzig are rattling through managers at the moment, so maybe they don't really know what they want. Maybe they don't. Let's talk about Dortmund, Graham. Um, evidently, not the best going forward, uh, seeing as their robot forward is no longer with them. Obviously, they're missing a few attacking players in this game, but... What, what do we make of them? I think I've referred to them before as a roller coaster because it seems one week we're praising them, the next week we're doing the opposite. And, you know, Dortmund have had some good results recently and then and mm-hmm. then this happens. So are, are we just on the bottom of the roller coaster right now? 
I think their issues are not too dissimilar to what I just mentioned with uh, with RB Leipzig there, where they don't really know what they want to be in this this post uh, Haaland landscape. Where under Haaland, the temptation wait, sorry when they had Haaland as the as as their number nine. The temptation was just to flip a ball in behind and play on the counter and that kind of um, neglected other parts of their team. Now they don't have Haaland and it feels like they're having possession for possession's sake. So it's, it's kind of similar to Leipzig where they've gone from one approach to the other and what they want to get to is, is somewhere in between. But when you look at the team that, that started this game, as Joe mentioned, it's not. It feels like they don't really have the personnel, and some of that is some of that's down to injuries. You know, Gio Reyna. They're trying to ease him back into this team. He's actually fit at the moment, but because of his track record over the last year, eighteen months, they don't want to risk another fitness breakdown from him. So I think once you get him in on the right side instead of Wolf, then all of a sudden you're getting a little bit closer to to something that feels like a mature team. Once Hilaire comes back, again, he was signed to be that new number nine. Um, Makuku as well, as seen as kind of the next big thing at Dortmund. He comes off the bench in this game, so maybe they fast-track him. But it, it very much feels like a work in progress. And I, I just don't have a great deal of faith that Eden Terzic... I know he's a, a very popular figure and he's been given the job permanently this season after a successful interim spell before Marco Rosa... But I, I haven't really seen much of a tactical framework from him. It feels like he might be a little bit of a soul sharp in that he was the perfect interim manager to come in and lift everyone's spirits and kind of get them believing again. But when he actually has to build a team with a structure and framework, I haven't seen that from him yet. But it's still very early days and Dortmund are actually doing okay. So So let's not write them off just yet. So what you're saying, Graham, is perhaps Dortmund's squad is a little bit too modest modest mod oh dear. modest oh dear oh dear yeah yeah like that and that's the uh, show no. folks that is the show <laughs> yeah catch you next week yeah i thought we'll my israel then. iran thing fell flat but man uh by comparison <laughs> ryan thanks for digging me out of that one <laughs> you're very welcome i did it all for you tater let's take a quick break when we come back let's talk about what's going on at bayern and uh, the top of the bundesliga back shortly looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our weekend review. Let's keep things in Germany. By Munich 2, VfB Stuttgart 2. Third draw in a row for the champions here. An injury time penalty earning a point for the visitors in this one. Joe, did you catch any of this? It seems like Bayern are um, not getting as many points as they should. <laughs> yes, I mean, that is 100% true. It's three straight draws in the Bundesliga for them. They had a, a nice win over Inter in the Champions League midweek, but a 1-1 draw with Gladbach, which we talked about on this show, that involved Jan Sommer going off in a defensive error. That's why it was 1-1. Then a 1-1 draw with Union Berlin, which the goal that Bayern conceded was on a, a poor set piece. They didn't defend that set piece very well, and Union Berlin get the goal. And then a 2-2 draw with Stuttgart. So one of the goals comes from a turnover and possession. Fullback runs right down their throats and scores, and, and that makes it 1-1. And then they give up a penalty late in this game to make it 2-2. They're dominating teams right now, and I still think Bayern Munich are very, very much the best team in the Bundesliga. They're winning the XG battles. They're creating more chances. It's it's just these little defensive moments or just some some unluckiness in the attack. I, I'm not concerned about Bayern Munich right now. They need to continue to get results. It is it is certainly going to be the case that they're focused on continuing to perform well in the Champions League, but this is a, a fun little blip, genuinely, for the rest of the Bundesliga because it, it does keep things interesting. We have a fun look at the top of the table with Union Berlin on top right now, and then Freiburg on 14 and 13 points respectively. 
and then my, uh, and then Bayern Munich, excuse me, are on 12. So there is some parity right now in the Bundesliga, which I think has made this league infinitely more enjoyable basically over the last month or so. Do, do we think it is just down to bad luck? Because I went yeah. through, back through the last three games and looked at how they conceded goals. And, and you're right, Joe, it, is, it does tend to be individual errors. In this game, Alfonso Davies gives the ball, the ball away cheaply. And then Matthias de Ligt gives away the, the penalty in stoppage time. By the way, not so confident in my opinion that he's going to be a superstar for Bayern Munich. I think he's had a, a, a fairly difficult start to life at Bayern. And he, those, those errors that we saw during his time at Juventus still seem to be in his game but do we just think it's, it's this will iron itself out or is this the 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 post Lewandowski impact yeah. if Lewandowski's in this team do they do they win these games do we have an explanation for what's happening well Graham they had 19 shots in this game I would suggest it's maybe they don't have someone who might have finished some of those 19 shots anymore possibly yeah yeah, I think I think Graham to your point. I don't think it will iron itself out, but I think it will be ironed out because I think it's just it's just new wrinkles, it's new things. I'm not trying to extend the ironing metaphor, but I seem to have done just that. <laughs> uh, I think it's just new wrinkles of not having Lewandowski, and it's not a Lewandowski problem necessarily. But I think we're going to talk about the Barca game from this weekend uh, later on. But his goal in that one was just definitive. Oh, he's there. He knew exactly where to be, and he pops it home, and that's what you need. And I think not to say that like Sajamani can't do that. He absolutely can. I think. It just takes repetition. It takes getting those sort of minutes together, playing against different teams who are going to throw different things at you. I think it will be fine in the long run, but I think it is maybe just a few little kinks to be figured out and then some individual errors on top not helping things. Yeah, Bayern have that phrase. Oh, Germans have the phrase Bayern Dussel, which translates to Bayern luck when they get last-minute decisions go in their favor. And it seems like that's the opposite of that's happening at the moment. So... um, Reverse Bayern Dussel. (laughs) Exactly. I'm not... Gegen Bayern Dussel, let's call it that. I don't (laughs) um, feel terribly sorry for them uh, at this point, but as I say, I think things will iron themselves out there. Uh, Good that Union Berlin are top of the Bundesliga, though. That's, That's a... That's a fun story. We had Freiburg last weekend as well, and both of those stories, those those club stories are, are... are pretty remarkable. Union Berlin, their the rise over the last couple of seasons has has been amazing, and and you kind of it makes you wonder where they'll end up because I don't think they'll they'll win the Bundesliga title. I do think that it will be beyond them. But is it out of the question that they qualify for the Champions League, given that they've already qualified for for European football from last season? I don't think it's completely well, out of the question. They've got a fun fun team at the with, moment. With with Jordan Bifak in your team, Graham, you can do anything. <laughs> Not when he's missing penalties. Hey. Are we sure that Bayern maybe haven't done the FIFA thing of just increasing the difficulty setting too much too quickly and now they're having to adjust to it and then at the end of the season they'll be totally fine? Because it does seem like maybe they're having some 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 issues early and then we'll, we'll yeah. adjust and be just fine by the end. But maybe not. But- maybe we get Union Berlin as the champions. That would be wonderful. Yeah. They're look, they're quickly looking for the settings to go back to professional. Experts, too hard, <laughs> yeah, too right. hard to go back. <laughs> Well, if I'm not, if I remember correctly, Uni and Berlin were fairly close to Champions League qualification last time round. The yeah, last yeah. time they lost a Bundesliga game was the 19th of March. That was against Bayern. Um, they're 10-3-0 since then. And of course, uh, they're two points clear at the moment with that 1-0 away win at Cologne. Uh, this Wochenende, very good for them. And as we mentioned, as Joe mentioned, Ryan, Freiburg. are you moving to Germany? What's happening? <laughs> I know a couple of German words and I'm trying to show off. That's I mean, you're today. doing it, man. Wochenende, is that how you say weekend? Yeah, yeah, it is. You're, you're majestic. Good job, buddy. Thanks. Uh, Freiburg are in second. They got a nil-nil draw with uh, Gladbach. Uh, another draw for Gladbach that is there as well. Hoffenheim in fourth uh, with a 4-1 uh, win over Mainz this weekend too. Any more for any more in the Bundesliga or shall we move on to Spain? Ooh. Yeah. Spain it is. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, uh, Cadiz uh, went to uh, the new Camp. A four- no, they didn't. They played at home and Barcelona visited them. It was a 4-0 win for Barcelona, who went top of the league with that result on Saturday uh, until they were leapfrogged by Real Madrid on Sunday. More on that uh, shortly. The game was halted for 50 minutes with around 10 minutes to go. The, uh, there was a fan, uh, a Cadiz fan, who had a medical emergency. Uh, Cadiz's keeper... Uh, actually ran the length of the yeah, field yeah. to grab a medical kit uh, uh, and uh, ran the length of the pitch back to throw it into the crowd to help. So he probably, or well, may have contributed to saving someone there. So It was, uh, a, it was a defibrillator, so I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure he did end up saving that fan or help saving that fan because last I saw, they were recovering in the hospital. So there yep. we go. Uh, football taking a back seat, uh, even if Cuddy's maybe let it take a back seat from most <laughs> of the second half. 
Yeah, and the 10 minutes that remained in play, uh, Barca got two more goals. Which is just so, that's so awful. Like, that's so rude. (laughs) Also, the both goals joke were like the same goal. Yeah. Exactly. So, Cadiz learned nothing in that final 10 minutes. So, unfortunate (laughs) for them. Uh, Yeah, Bayern scored 15 times and conceded just once since their opening day draw with Real Vallecano. And a stat from Mr. Chip, Robert Lewandowski, the aforementioned, is the first Barcelona player to score eight goals in his first six official appearances for Barca since 1959. And that was Sandor Coxis. Of course we know him, Graham, right? Yeah, of course. Lewandowski didn't even start this game and he still managed to to come off the bench and score. Yeah, yeah. So anyone catch this one? Yeah, Yeah, I I, I, I watched this this one live and um, was impressed with with Barcelona. Um, It was actually... Of all the players that that scored, Dembele scores late on. Lewandowski scored it. It, it was the, the the player who scored the opener, the first goal, who caught my eye the most. That was Frankie De Jong, and I thought this was a performance that showed what he can he can still offer Barca after they did everything in their power to ship him off to Manchester United mm-hmm. in the summer. Cadiz were were pretty aggressive early on, so they were pressing pretty high in the first half, and they were putting Barcelona under pressure. And it was and it was De Jong that was key to the way that they got out from the back. And I can imagine Eric Ten Hag was very frustrated watching this because De Jong showed everything that United wanted from him. He was bursting through the lines with the ball at his feet. He was passing from deep and making late runs into the box as well, which is how he scores the, the first goal arriving late on the scene to, to finish after, a, I think it was Gavi that has the shot and Ledesma, the, the Cadiz goalkeeper, palms it out. But he was impressive. I thought Hector Bellerin was also impressive. Um, he has a, a hand in, in two goals in the second half. And his story is an interesting one because obviously he came through La Masia but left to join Arsenal before he made his breakthrough at Barca. So this was his senior league debut for Barcelona. And his his career stagnated a bit in the last few years. But on I thought on the basis of this performance, he's going to be a useful player for Xavi and, and Barcelona who don't really have another natural right back after they, uh, they kind of forced Sergino Dest out of the club on, on deadline day. So there is a position there to be won and, and Bellerin was was pretty impressive. And, and one more beat on Barcelona. I know we got a lot of other things to get to. That goal you mentioned from Frankie de Jong, the build-up to that goal, I don't know if the rest of you all watched that, is like pure Xavi ball. It is exactly what he's been trying to build with this Barcelona team pretty much since he took over last season, in the middle of last season. So it's the 55th minute. All 10 outfield players are in the attacking half. So they're dominating the ball. They're circulating possession, in this case, from left to right. So they're circulating, and as they're circulating, the wingers are super wide. So it's Rafinha and Ferran Torres who start wide in this game. The fullbacks are tucked inside. So on the right side, which is where the goal comes from, Rafinha is all the way wide on the touchline, and Bellerin is inside in in sort of the right half space. That's a very shabby thing to do, to either have the, the fullback high in the half space or tucked inside more as this auxiliary central midfielder. They're circulating possession. The center back gets it over to the wide winger. The wide winger finds the number eight. That's Gabby that you mentioned, Graham, who's making a run to the end line in that Man City zone, Ryan, that you and I talked about last week. Right. And then Gavi, the number eight, crosses the ball on the floor, and that's where the goalkeeper comes out, Graham, to palm the ball away. And the, the palm doesn't actually make it outside the box. The ball doesn't go anywhere except to Frankie de Jong, who's crashing as the weak side number eight and finishing in, in, in the box. It is the perfect archetype Xavi goal that is, again, just this team has so much quality and is at times so much fun to watch. This game wasn't flawless from them, but man, when these patterns are coming off and the kill patterns in the final third are working, they are really scary for opposing defenses and really great to watch. And this was just another example of that. Can I ask about that goal? I, I did notice its quality as well. But for a dum-dum like me, that kind of looked like the Man City goal. So what's the difference between that goal and the typical Man City goal, driving it to the Man City zone and cutting it back for someone to tap it? It's, it's very similar, Ryan. I think that's a great observation. You see a lot of these same principles from teams that dominate the ball. Teams do it differently. Like you'll see Liverpool, who, who dominate the ball, rely really heavily on, on fullbacks, right? So you have Trent Alexander-Arnold doing a lot of creative things higher up. And that's not maybe exactly what Xavi wants from his fullbacks or exactly what Pep wants from his fullbacks, although Cancelo does a lot of that same stuff just in different spots for Manchester City. One of the differences, I think, for Xavi is he's he's had this very particular tactical alignment almost again from the day he came in with the wingers really, really wide and the central midfielders making some of those line-breaking runs, whether it's Pedri or Gavi or Frankie de Jong, making those runs in behind. They become very particular patterns that he uses not that other managers like Pep don't use those same patterns, but he's had them instilled from very, very early on in his tenure, and we've seen them a lot, and we haven't seen maybe as much of the same variety and changes from season to season that we've seen with Pep and City, just because Xavi hasn't been at Barcelona as long. 
Very interesting. All right, Barcelona uh, regressing back to top of the table form, it seems, but they're not quite top of the table. Real Madrid have that honour right now. A 4-1 win over Mallorca this Sunday. Uh, they came behind, uh, from behind to win this one, Graham. Um, they are uh, a perfect team at the moment in terms of points accrued. Yeah, the only team still in, in Europe's big five leagues to have won all their games so far this season. I thought that the final scoreline of this match was flattering for Real Madrid because Mallorca were, were very much in this game for a large period. The Madrid looked shaky at the back and uh, Mariki made the most of that to, to score the opener. And, and really not much was happening for Real Madrid for the majority of the first half. I, I swear every time they play an early kickoffs at the Bernabeu, um, they don't play well. I'm pretty sure I've, I've never really seen them play well. I don't know what it is. But as I say, nothing was happening for them until Ferry Valverde decided to just do it all on his own oh, right at the goal. end of the, of the very, first half. Very incredible Thanos goal. of Fede Valverde to just do the yeah. final do it myself uh, <laughs> driving run and goal. Well done by him. Oh. Exactly. And it was it was an incredible goal. So he's, he's passed the ball about 25 yards out from his, his own goal. And then he just ran and ran and ran and ran and, and, and kind of, I was going to say dribbles past opposition defenders, but there's not really much dribbling going on. He just runs past them and, and then he kind of angles a strike into the top corner of the Mallorca net from the edge of the box. And I feel like a, a lot of people sleep on Fede Valverde because Madrid have so many good midfielders and attackers, but he's an incredible player and he is he is the glue in this Real Madrid attack. So he can he can play on the right, he can play in the middle, he brings um, intensity and energy, but he can also control games. And, and I am a, a big fan of his and this was a, a stunner of a goal that he scored in this game. It was indeed. Uh, let's go to the other team in Madrid. Atletico uh, winning 4-1 over Celta Vigo this weekend. Um, Graham, I think we mentioned it last week, the Anton Griezmann substitution thing, where he he it's, it, there's a contract with Barcelona where I think the terms are they have to pay another 40 million euros or something like that if he yeah. plays more than half hour per game. So he keeps coming on in like the 60th minute. He, he does. And that happened again in, in this match. So um, it's a strange situation, but he's actually in, in decent form. And as I think I might have mentioned Previously in in rugby, not that I'm a massive rugby fan, but I know that they have uh, like finishers or closers, and it feels like soccer has its first uh, first closer, and Antoine Griezmann who comes on for the final thirty minutes and uh, makes an impact, makes an impact in this game as well. And Atleti they needed a performance like this because they they haven't been in the worst of form recently, but they hadn't blown away a team for a while, and and. The, the numbers they were getting forward in quick, quick transition in, the, in this game, it was just too much for Celta. So Angel Correa and, and Morata, they started. Then Griezmann and, and Felix come off the bench for the final 30 minutes, which isn't, isn't uh, they aren't bad players to have for those final 30 minutes of the match. And, it, and it's, it's um, this was a, a, a strong performance by Atleti. Carrasco, Carrasco sorry, he scores a, a really good dribbling goal. Gerbic starts in goal for Atleti for the first time. He might have done better with the Celta goal, which beat him at the near post. But Celta allowed Atleti to play their natural game. And this was a, a demonstration of the, the number of attacking options that, that Simeone has this season, including 30-minute uh, Antoine Griezmann. <laughs> Joe, if Griezmann continues in this form, goes to the World Cup and is like the Golden Boot winner or if like France win the World Cup, will that become the thesis statement in your Carbonite theory <laughs> that only play them 30 minutes, keep them wrapped up, don't make them play too much and they will be just fine? I didn't know it, Taylor, but I'm about to be the biggest and most annoying Anton Griezmann and France fan at the World Cup later this winter. Ooh. It's going to happen, folks. The, the other scenario is that Antoine Griezmann wins the Golden Boot, has an incredible World Cup, and then Atletico Madrid, when they come back, just the start him in every game because they think, 40 million euros, what a bargain. We need him for that. <laughs> it's very uh, it's very Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross to have a closer come on at the end of the uh, game. I like that, Antoine Griezmann role. Very good. I'm sure he probably feels differently. He'd probably rather play more than half yeah. an hour per game. And there'll be games where I'm sure Atleti need him for more than half an hour coming up uh, in the coming weeks and months. But uh, so far, does so that mean, good. Does that mean he's the only one who's allowed to drink coffee at all of Atletico yeah, Madrid? Of course. It's for closers. Okay. Yeah. You know that. All right. I mean, yeah. tough for everybody who needs to stay awake, especially if you're trying to mark Fede Valverde, who we should not sleep on, as Graham Ruthven said. And yeah, <laughs> and one of the better Baldwins. Or I don't know where he ranks anymore. Anyway, um, let's go to Real Betis 1, Villarreal 0. Um, Graham, did you catch that one? 
Yeah, so this was this might have been the match that I was looking forward to most of all this weekend, but I'll be honest, it was on at the same time as the Juventus match, and I gravitated towards that. Such was the the chaos that was unfolding there. But it was a, this was a match between two teams that have enjoyed very good starts to the season, and Unai Emery will be very frustrated after this game because in many ways his his game plan worked, but. Villarreal failed to to take the opportunities that they had to to score, and Real Betis, as has become customary under Pellegrini, they just uh, they just fought really hard, and they were missing Nabil Fakir and Wanmi from this from this game. But Rodri gets the goal, and that puts Pellegrini's team third in La Liga, just three points off Real Madrid at the top. Very nice. Graham, you teased Juventus there. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back to talk about a team who could use some Antoine Griezmann-style closers, arguably, uh, based on this weekend's action. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show weekend review. Welcome back. Let's take our attention to Serie A. Juventus 2, Salonatada 2. Graham, the aforementioned game where the away kit was worn at home. I think they deserved not to win for that detail alone, personally. Um, Salonatada took the lead in this one, and then he went 2-0 up through a Piontech penalty as well. But Graham, the fun really began in injury time in this one. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I think we should probably start with injury time because otherwise I, I don't really know where to start with <laughs> with this match. So Juventus two 0 down. They look completely down and out of this game. Glisson Bremer he scores six minutes into the second half with a with a thunderbolt of a header, and you think here we go. But the the, the fight back just looked to have completely fizzled out. And then um, Salonatana give away a, a penalty, I think, in the 92nd minute. Right. Yep. And uh, Bonucci equalizes. And then Aritz Malik, he thinks he scored the winner in the 95th minute. And he celebrates by taking his shirt off. And uh, then the goal's disallowed for an offside Bonucci interfering with play. Malik has already been booked. So he's sent off despite the goal being disallowed. And then when I was watching this live, I didn't even notice this, but Quadrado's also sent off and Fazio's sent off for <laughs> yep. Salonatano oh, and Allegri's sent off for good measure. So um, Milik has been sent off because of celebrating a goal that doesn't count. And then after the match, the, the it, it becomes apparent that the camera view that was used to disallow that goal was missing a Salonatano player right at the bottom of the pitch <laughs> who was actually keeping... Uh, Benucci onside and so the goal should have counted and this was honestly if it hadn't been for that Atletico Madrid Porto stoppage time that we had in the Champions League this last week this would have been the most chaotic stoppage time I, I actually think it was more chaotic than that stoppage time yeah. this was the most chaotic stoppage time that I have seen for a long long time it was absolutely wild yeah Antonio Candreva I believe was the Salernitana player who was um, who playing them on side uh, Milik on side for that one um not the best showing for Serie A in general, I'd say, Taylor, this game. Oh, I mean, it was, if you like, drama and uh, crazy results at the very end. But yeah, I think <laughs> especially not a great one for, for Serie A VAR. Uh, Premier League tends to get a lot of the talking points when it comes to bad VAR decisions. But this one with Kondreva, it seemed to me pretty clearly keeping everybody on side. I, I now wonder if the VAR official was actually Ryan Bailey and if the reason for the rule goal being ruled out was because Bonucci is friends with Chiellini and that's all yeah. it takes for... For goals to be disallowed when it comes to Ryan Bailey, the dictator mm -hmm. of VAR. Yep. Uh, but I, I think that was a wild moment. I'm still not 
entirely sure why if they – I guess he took his shirt off no matter what. But if you're taking the goal back, it feels like you got to take the celebration back too. But the red card stands at least at time of recording for Milik, which feels harsh. I do love the idea of him in the locker room congratulating everybody on the win as they came in only to realize things had gone horribly awry. Hang on a second, I, Graham. If – uh, not Graham, sorry, Taylor. If if um if I punch someone after scoring a goal and it's this loud, do I not get sent off for punching nope. someone? No, take backs. You get take nope. backs. Doesn't yeah. count. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah you, you're not familiar with the official take these backsies rule of FIFA? You got to check IFAB rules, Ryan. Wow. They update these pretty regularly. Seems like the best I, time to commit murder would be just after you score <laughs> this loud goal then. Oh, oh, takes back. Doesn't count. Doesn't count. <laughs> how how often are you scoring winning goals for Juventus in Serie A, Ryan Bailey? Less frequently than you'd think, Graham, is the answer, I think. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure that's fav- true. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite detail for this game was after three players and a manager had been sent off um, in the 99th minute, Salonatana Natar- made a double substitution. Just why? So funny. <laughs> I did enjoy I that, really bro. I liked Allegri getting the like knowing the red card was coming and and clearly being told by the fourth official you have to wait to be given the red card and just turning and walking away and the official still said something to him which I believe was him saying Max and then held up the red card so at least they're still on first name basis the official and and Allegri or at least they were as Allegri stormed off maybe not so much today hmm. maybe was he saying Max or was he saying too cool. He's going to take your job soon. <laughs> that's what Max means in Italian, Ryan. You yeah, know that. you so. live in Italy. You should know yeah. this. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Any any thoughts about that? Tuchel coming in. It does seem like it might be a yeah. thing, Graham. Agnelli should give him a call, and I know that he has Zidane's number as well. So it feels like Zidane's waiting for the France job, but in case he can be swayed, I would give either of those two managers a call at this point. Feels like the pressure's really building on Allegri. I don't really know how Juventus are playing, what their identity is or what their style of play is. So it feels kind of... I, I, I was reading that his contract runs until 2025 and he gets paid 9 million euros a season. So that is going to be a big compensation package. But Juventus should also weigh up how yeah. this season is panning out. I don't think they achieve much with Allegri in charge. It's really strange to me that Juve are in the position they're in, they have the injuries that they do, and it's a somewhat lengthy list, but at the same time, very few of those names that are injured, like even Paul Pogba, I would say, will come in and theoretically make that midfield better, but it's not as though their entire midfield has been wiped out. In this one, there was no Pogba, there was no Rabio for central midfield, there's no Di Maria, there's no Chiesa, but still, the, those names aren't going to make them better in the areas that maybe they need improvement. So to some extent, they have this really deep squad that also seems sort of vulnerable in spots. And I think there's a lot to work for, work on when you're Allegri in that team. But I think Salernitana were also very good in this game. And that's a thing that will probably not get as much attention. But I thought... For a team that I had very little expectation of, aside from, Graham, I think I made a joke about watching them, and you, in typical fashion, responded like, no, I saw them. They were actually pretty good. I feel like that happened a couple weeks ago. Am I wrong? Um, I th- uh, can't remember. We speak about a lot of things. Sounds like <laughs> doing. But, but watching them in this game, I thought uh, Maggiore was really good with his like, quick tempo and passing. I thought Piontek was really aggressive in his running, hard fighting for everything. He gets that penalty. Uh, Bulai Dia on loan from Villarreal, good dribbler, tight control, accurate shooter. Anto- uh, Antonio Candreva gets the uh, the goal, bodies it in, but he's up and down all over the place. Uh, Pasquale uh, Mazzocchi on the left, I think also a, a very good performer gets the assist for the opener and stands at Weston McKinney, although I think Juan Cuadrado was probably at fault for that one a little bit more than McKinney. But I, I thought there was a ton of talent there, and I thought it was a Salernitana team that, that kind of went at Juve, and yeah. especially playing uh, away Salernitana on the road at Juve. That was surprising to me. I wonder if that was surprising to Juve, and I wonder if that is representative of the sentiment that this is a Juve team that you can go at and get something. Yeah, absolutely. There is a weakness to Juventus and there's not that fear factor about playing them away from home anymore. So it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if Juventus were were caught off guard by just how Salernitana just kept on coming. I'm looking at the who scored player ratings right now. They've got Candreva as their best player, but I thought Mazzocchi on the left side with Piantic and the the way they were just exploiting over and over again, Quadrado, who has become a little bit of a liability for Juventus in that right back position. I thought that was very, very impressive. And they they really could have been out of sight in this game. They could have scored more than more than twice. So Juventus, in a sense, were pretty lucky. So yeah, Juventus um, suffering from unfavorable refereeing. Uh, so unfortunate Ironic. for them. Yeah, let's uh, move on to Napoli. Napoli are top uh, with a one-nil win over Spezia. Um, Giacomo Raspadori's first goal for his club in the 89th minute 
which put Napoli top on Saturday. Uh, into one, Torino nil. Uh, Brozovic with a late goal. 89th minute for that one as well. And AC Milan, Graham, getting a win at Sampdoria. Oliver Giroud doing it again. Yeah, AC Milan were, were impressive in this game for, for a large period of it, doing very AC Milan things and sending lots of player forward, players forward in, in quick transition. Took the lead through Junior Messias, who, who needs a goal because if there's one question over this AC Milan team at the moment, it's on that on that right side. Um, and Teo Hernandez was getting forward and Giroud and Rafael Leao. And then Leao was sent off two minutes into the second half for a, a, a dangerous um, kick, an overhead kick that saw him shown a, a, a second yellow. And the match changed after that. And Sam equalised through Juricic, who was a, a threat throughout. He'd come close to scoring before then. But then, as you say, Olivier Giroud scoring from the spot, not his sexiest goal, He's still a sexy man, gets the three points for AC Milan and um, yeah, they scrapped for the win for the rest of the match, which is a different side of them. They've obviously been playing pretty well recently, but it's good to know that they have that side to their game. Indeed. Excellent summary there, Graham Rutherford. Joe Lowry, let's move to MLS corner, shall we? Philadelphia, good at the soccer's discuss. Very good at the soccer's. They keep blowing teams out game after game. They scored 25 goals in their last five home games. 25 goals. In their last five home games, they're scoring so much right now. And they're also, as of this weekend, the new Supporter Shield favorites. According to 538, they are now the the percentage favorites to win the Shield. They have a 59% chance of winning the regular season title. LAFC have a 41% chance. On August 2nd, those numbers were completely flipped. LAFC had a 64% chance to win the Supporter Shield, and the Union had a 14% chance. So things have turned on their heads, and a lot of that is due to how impressive the Union have been. They're scoring left and right. They still have one of the best defenses, not just this season in MLS, where they have the best defense, but in MLS history. I believe Doyle had this in his column, that they have the second best defense in MLS history after 2010 RSL, based off of goals allowed. I'm not entirely sure how he got there, but either way, you watch this team play, and they are endlessly impressive right now. And some of this is also coupled with LAFC's decline. I don't, I don't want to call it a collapse it's more of a it's more of a dip in results i think this lafc team is still very very good but they have not been winning games at the same rate or in the same way that the philadelphia union have they lost 2-1 to fc dallas over the weekend ryan hollingshead goes out with a red card early in this match so lafc are playing with a man down for the vast majority of this game they get a goal it's a nice one from Gicho rango they go 1-0 up right before halftime but then Jesus Ferreira gets a brace, one of which, Graham, I know you saw this goal. Yeah. If you want to if you want to walk us through it, there's a stoppage of play and Dallas sort of outfox LAFC at home. Yeah, so Dallas win the, the free kick high on the on the left side, and LAFC just completely go to sleep. And I and I love how Ferreira he realizes that LAFC are static but he doesn't want to draw attention yeah. to it. He, so he just kind of strolls into the space, then calls for it rather than, you know, if he'd, if he'd started waving his arms and making a scene before he actually gets into that space, then that gives time for LAFC to get, to get back into their shape and to close off that space. But as I say, he just kind of uh, downplays the situation, strolls over into, the, into that position. And then the finish as well is just so op- opportuni- opportunistic because he knows it needs to be done quickly. He doesn't really care about how it looks and it's sort of a, a toe poke finish in, into the back of the net but I think that sums up a lot of what I and many others really like about Jesus Ferreira is just his in, his intelligence and this season obviously he's added a lot of goals to his game so I, ju- I just love that moment I, th- I thought it was uh, it's, as I say summed up a lot about Jesus Ferreira it's it's a great moment in a, in a really entertaining game as well it caps off well it's not capped off because it's not done but a really nice run from FC Dallas, who have been very, very good in Major League Soccer for the vast majority of this year. <clears throat> Excuse me, but they they have had some excellent results recently. They beat LAFC, they beat Minnesota in back-to-back weeks. Uh, they beat Philly a couple of weeks ago, midweek. They've taken down some good teams. They're sitting third in the Western Conference right now with a, a real chance, not a great chance, but a real chance of finishing second. Either way, it looks like they have a home game lined up at the very least in the playoffs. One other note I wanted to get to, Ryan, before I flip it back to you is... We're at the point of the year where teams are starting to drop out of playoff contention, which is takes it, it takes much longer for that to happen in MLS than I think it should because a lot of teams make the playoffs. But either way, DC United, sorry, Taylor, and the Houston Dynamo were both eliminated from the postseason this weekend, as it should be, to be entirely honest. These are, <laughs> are bad teams. DC under Wayne Rooney are, are trying to revitalize themselves. I am still not at all sold on their summer transfer window, which involved signing Christian Benteke and, and a bunch of other players as well. 
but it's going to take time under Wayne Rooney. So the jury's still out there. It's certainly going to take time for the Houston Dynamo, who fired head coach Pablo, uh, Pablo, excuse me, Nagamura last week and uh, are in the midst of a pretty sizable rebuild or very much need to start that rebuild yesterday. And I think maybe firing Nakamura was the first step there. There's a lot of issues for the Dynamo that go much deeper than just the head coaching spot. So they need a a, a lot of help. They need a a bigger core of players. They need some solid transfer windows. It's going to take them some time. But both D.C. and Houston were eliminated this weekend from playoff contention. They'll be the first two teams of many over the next couple of weeks. Indeed. Well, Cincinnati uh, playoff hopes looking good, Joe. 6-0 win over San Jose they got. Um, so a good win for Queen City Junior. Queen City <laughs> Senior, Charlotte also getting a 1-0 win over um, NYCFC. Uh, Charlotte, not bottom of the East, Joe. They're not bottom anywhere near where you <laughs> thought they again. would be um, at the moment. They're, not in the playoffs, they're but not really bottom. Near, they're really near where I thought they would be. <laughs> they're like three spots from that. They're they're right in that zone. Um yeah, yeah. I, I did. I did. I did appreciate Charlotte in this game for almost making me want, almost making me wish this game was at Yankee Stadium with all the lines that were on oh, Bank yeah. of America Field. That was uh, just special to get to watch bits and pieces of this game. But credit to Charlotte, who I thought had a, a decent game, played played decently well. And NYCFC have just fallen off an absolute cliff since Ronnie Dyla and Tati Castellanos left. Keaton Parks comes back and plays a little bit in this game, which is massive for them. They've dealt with injuries. Their squad hasn't been able to handle it. They're just not the same team that they were early on in this year to the point where, yeah, anything can happen in the playoffs. But momentum-wise, and you look at how this team's actually playing, a team that I thought was a legitimate Shield and MLS Cup favorite towards the beginning of this year and even a few months in is very much not either of those things right now. Uh, are uh, a Charlotte playing on the lines because of the Panthers? Yes, yeah, so that yes. like that. The Panthers had a game on Sunday, a home game. So on Saturday, uh, they had the NFL lines, and they they drew on um, I want to say yellow, yellow soccer yep. lines, which they pal washed off um, for the um, NFL game. So the NFL lines were there the whole time. Uh, it looked weird. They also, but they did have um, matching yellow nets to go with the yellow lines, which was kind of an interesting touch. I thought. Coordination. Nah, it doesn't make it much better. Nah, <laughs> you're clutching there. Put the net <laughs> mic in the net, and now we're talking. Let's get Garber on that whole net. <laughs> yes. We've been over this. Very good, very good. All right, I would like to just follow MLS Corner with uh, USL Avenue real quick, if I may. I just want to draw attention to Orange County SC, who got a big win over LA Galaxy 2 at Championship Stadium in Irvine this weekend. Uh, if you've been following the news there, I know uh, backheel.com has been covering it a little bit. Uh, go check it out there. Um, LA Galaxy, uh, or basically Orange County, they don't know whether they're going to be playing in their stadium next season. There's a little bit of a dispute with LA Galaxy who would quite like to have their MLS Next Pro team play there. So um, it was a symbolic win for Orange County, this one. And uh, LA Galaxy had some uh, some mentors. Does the winner get to keep the stadium? I don't think it quite works like that in the courts or by the city council, but we shall oh, man, see. I thought we were I thought we were racing for pink slips here. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love that at the, at the coin toss at the start. He went, winner takes the stadium. That would have been pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah, I would have liked that. Uh, but congrats to Orange County and all involved in that one. Any other business section now, a.k.a. where we usually talk about PSG's result because... <laughs> uh, because reasons. Uh, PSG won breast nil. Neymar with the goal in oh. this one, Joe. What do you think? So good. And, and PSG love this little chipped ball over the top. So Mbappe, we talked about this in the Champions League show last weekend, has this goal against Juventus where Neymar chips it over the top for him. Mbappe picks it out of the air over his shoulder, hits it first time. Now Neymar gets his goal in this game from a messy chip over the top. They, they've been really using that ball because they have players that can serve that ball in relatively reliably, whether it's Neymar or Messi or Mbappe or someone from midfield, PSG have the quality to do this and they have the players that can cushion the ball and actually do something dangerous with it once they receive in behind the back line. It's not an identical goal by any stretch of the imagination, but again, that ball in over the top, that little clipped one, I think we've seen it a lot this season and I'd I'd bank on the fact that we're going to see it a lot more. This PSG team just has so much talent and they're showing it right now, both in Liga and in the Champions League. That that loop ball into the box, Joe. It was superb from Messi. It's the kind of thing I always try and do in rec league, and I end up putting <laughs> it like into the corner flag. But uh, uh, yeah, a beautiful, beautiful assist it was for Ryan, that goal too. Ryan, I just have to note. Uh, I saw this on Reddit. Uh, through seven games for PSG, that the three of Neymar, Messi, and Mbappe have thirty-one total goals and assists. That's Neymar six assists and eight goals, Messi seven assists and three goals, Mbappe seven goals in seven games. Those are some numbers that PSG is putting up. That's quite good production, I would say. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's almost we'll like see. they're quite good and have a lot of talent. 
Yeah, look forward to them getting to the Champions League quarterfinals this season. We shall see. Uh, One more game to talk about, Graham Rutherford. The Super Classico in Argentina at Boca, uh, hosting River Plate and getting the win. Uh, A nice 97th minute red card for a flying kick in this one, too. Very fun. Yeah, this was a, this was a typical Super Classico in that the overall quality, I think it's fair to say, was was pretty low. But there were loads of fouls and loads of physical stuff, and it was entertaining. And it was decided decided by a, a set piece winner by Dario uh, Benedetto. And I love the way the crowd surges forward at La Bombonera when a, when a goal is scored in a big match like this. I have questions over how safe that is, but it looks amazing on TV. And Boca really celebrated this one. They had four players hanging off the netting behind the goal as they celebrated the, the winner. It was quite the image. And as you referenced there, Marcus Rocco getting sent off late for a, a wild flying tackle. It's good to know that he is still the same player, even if he's not playing for Manchester United anymore. Still got it. Yeah, the uh, Bombardier, I think there's videos of the stands rocking and gaps appearing in them. And there's always imagery Yikes. of the fans climbing those 25 feet walls as well, which doesn't look super... Health and safety conscious, should we say, Graham? Uh, but yeah, very, very fun times in Argentina. Fun times on the weekend review as well. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for joining us on this intrepid journey. Thank you so much, Ryan Bailey. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always. Thank you, Ryan. Joe Lowry, keep on trucking. Right back at you. And listener, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye. <laughs>